My name is Sharon Betters, and you are listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Mark Inc. exists to offer help and hope to the hurting. And one of the ways that we do this is share stories uh, from people who have experienced hard places in their life, uh, life crises that perhaps they had no control over or maybe because of choices that they have made. And they have found a way to walk with strength in that pathway. They're further ahead in the journey, perhaps, than many of our listeners, and they're calling back that there is help and hope even in the hardest places of life. If you go to our website at markinc.org and click the Help and Hope link, you'll find many free resources, each one a story that addresses a life crisis that is often very difficult to experience, might be experienced in isolation, or maybe even held as a very deep secret by many people who don't know where to turn for help and hope. You'll find topics such as uh, our series for military families, where we talk about coming home from war and the many stresses that our military families experience. We have resources on adultery, on terminal illness, on suicide, on the loss of a loved one, breast cancer, chronic illness, multiple sclerosis. As you can see, we have a wide range of topics. Today, we're going to be talking about a really difficult life crisis, one that I'm pretty sure is experienced by many, many people in isolation. Maybe it's something that is buried way down deep in the dark places of the heart for fear of exposure or because it's just too hard to talk about. I think you're going to be touched and moved, and your hearts are going to be encouraged by what you hear today. Today in our studio is Marian Stevenson, Director of Hope Pregnancy Center in Ocean City, New Jersey, and Rio Grande. Marian has been the director for 17 years. Welcome, Marian. Thank you, Sharon. We also have with us Jill Swagler, uh, a counselor at Hope Pregnancy Center. She has been a counselor there for eight years. Welcome, Jill. Thank you. Marion, as I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to be talking about a topic that is really, I think, a painful topic, a very difficult topic. Why don't you share with our listeners some of the statistics that are surrounding abortion? As you mentioned, it's something that maybe is in the dark, secret places in many people's hearts. It's something that many women who come to Hope Pregnancy Center have never told anyone about and yet they feel safe, and they know that we deal with confidence and confidentiality, and they speak up many times and will share with us for the first time they've vocalized that they've had an abortion in their past, or they've come for a pregnancy test, and they're on the fence. They don't know whether they're going to want to keep this baby, and it's through the counseling, through the love, the compassion, that many times they will change their mind and give life to their child. Is this um, a life crisis that affects a lot of people? Some of the statistics I've read uh, say there's 33% of women in this country that have had an abortion. And many times it's more than one time they've had an abortion. So when you consider that and consider there's a man involved with each one, there's a, a big crisis with the men in our country as well. And as I, I think about that, I, I think about a friend who uh, learned that we were going to be doing this resource, and she stopped me and said, have I ever told you that I had an abortion? 
And she had never told me that. And then she said, actually, I've had more than one abortion. And she's an older woman. She was very young. It was while she was a teenager. But her eyes still filled with tears as she shared that story with me. And so today in our studio, we also have Jill, who is going to be sharing her story. So we're not just talking clinically about an organization and what an organization does. We're going to be talking about real life and the real pain and anguish that women and those who love them experience when abortion enters their lives. So, Jill, why don't you share with us your story? Thank you, you, Sharon. Um, It's... It happened when I was in uh, the University of Delaware. I was actually um, going into my senior year, and that would have been 1976, 1977. And at that time, of course, abortion was legal. Uh, It had been legal in the United States of America since 1973. I was studying sociology, criminal justice, and had been brought up in a Christian home I had gone to church and believed in God, but I did not have a personal relationship with God. So I was pretty much self selfish and actually getting involved with the whole women's liberation movement, which kind of emphasized, you know, you're just as good as a man and, you know, you can do what he can do. And so I didn't really understand what my role was at that point. I was somewhat confused and selfish and didn't really have a direction. So anyway, I was doing what a lot of women at that time were doing, and I got involved with my boyfriend at the time and found myself pregnant. And so I didn't know what to do or where to go. Unfortunately, someone in my family had said to me, you need to get rid of this. And being fearful and not really knowing what to do, she directed me to a Planned Parenthood which, of course, was prevalent in the Wilmington area and also Newark off of the University of Delaware area. So that's where I went to a Planned Parenthood, and they said to me, yes, you are pregnant. This is what you can do. And I received no counsel or any type of direction other than you need to um, go to, at that time, it was on Orange Street, the abortion mill there, and get an abortion. So being scared and not knowing what else to do and pretty much alone. Um, My boyfriend was somewhat aware and realizing what I was going to do, but um, not really supportive. At that time, the abortion mill was in Orange Street. And so I went there one morning and proceeded to get an abortion. They said it would be quick cramping. That would be about it, you know. And there was really no type of counsel or or any kind of help before, after, or even during. (laughs) And so I went through the procedure and left the same day and went home and not really realizing what I had done, but kind of went on with my life. Um, Unfortunately, a year later, I ended up pregnant again. Of course, went the same route to a Planned Parenthood and, and proceeded again to get another abortion. Then at that time, my boyfriend and I decided to get married. We did get married after two abortions. Not really, I was in denial at the time and repressed a lot of my feelings, emotions, which a number of women do, kind of shut it out of my life and just went on. So the whole emotional effect didn't really, I wasn't getting too much depression or anything at that time, just kind of blocking that out. Did anyone 
in any way caution you that abortion was not a good pathway or was your decision really a, so private that there weren't many other people who were aware of what you were doing? Uh, there was really only one other person. Well, uh, two, I guess, my boyfriend and then uh, <clears throat> my one sister who, you know, she just kind of directed me to, you need to get rid of it. So that's what I did. So, and I kind of respected her. I'm the youngest of four. So I didn't really know what else to do. Uh, I didn't go into any lengthy you know, questions with her. I just, you know, I just kind of inquired since she was older. And then with my boyfriend, he was like, whatever you want to do. So unfortunately, yeah, that was the situation. So no, there really wasn't anyone else. And I, from what I have talked with other women, they don't, you know, it's not a popular decision or something you want to share about, share a whole lot with other people about. Isn't it interesting though, Jill, that, um, our culture is telling us this is just a medical procedure. It's not a person. It's, right. it's just, it's your body. Get rid of whatever it is that's that's taking life from your body. And yet there is that sense in a woman, many women, who really don't want to talk about it right. w- with anyone else. Right. Uh, so it, it's almost as though there seems as though there is a sense, might be buried, but a sense that there's something not quite right here. It, did you feel that at the time, or do you think that was buried way deep in your heart? Uh, to a certain extent, but then again, I wasn't. I didn't want to really think about it, and th- and that's what I hear from most women. They just shut it out of their lives, and so it's repressed, and it doesn't come up for maybe ten years or so. Why did you think that it was okay to have an abortion? Uh, it was legal. <laughs> that was my whole rationale. That it was legal, it had been legal. And I, again, I had studied some law and things at the University of Delaware. So I did, was aware of that, that it was legal, um, had been since 1973. Again, I was kind of whole into the whole self mode. So I, it was like whatever, you know, whatever was pleasing or whatever you could do to, you know, which was enjoyable, you know, you did at that time, unfortunately. So I didn't really look to a lot of other people or or places for kind of rules or regulations. It's just kind of was my own self really up to a lot. I mean, I did talk to my boyfriend, but again, he was pretty much whatever you want to do and he would go along, you know, it wasn't really um, his decision, quote unquote. Well, and that's that's what women are told. It's right. nobody. It's their decision. Right. It's their private decision. Right. So, Marion, ha- are you finding the same thing in the many years of counseling women who have had abortions? Do you find the same kind of thinking that it, they do it and they're not going to think about it? Exactly. And some women would come in and they would say, 30 years ago, I had an abortion." And I never thought about it. It never bothered me. But now I can't live with myself. And they've received counsel and have come to know that they can be forgiven by God and that they can forgive themselves and have a life. There there's been women who were just numb. They had gone through the abortion, or maybe more than one, had had other children in the family, um, Something was bothering them. They didn't know that it was the abortions they had had. They didn't know what it was. But at some point, they realized, that might be what is troubling me. And so they've come for counseling. And we've had one-on-one counseling and studying the attributes of God. And they were able to 
explain to God their hurts and their questions, their guilt, their shame, and and know God's forgiveness. And some of these are Christian women. Not all, you know, not all the ones that come to us have never been to church and never thought about God, but some have been Christian women who have suppressed this for years. And they have found peace. They have found that their emotions now can be felt. They can cry. And now they know why they had suppressed it and what they had suppressed. You mentioned um, that now they can feel their emotions. Uh, What do you mean by that? I don't even think they could explain that to me, what it was. But that was what really was their difficulty, is that they could feel nothing. They were numb because of the guilt and shame in their life. And nobody knew about the abortion that they had gone through. But it was affecting every area of their life. For myself, uh, the grief that I've experienced in my own life uh, after the death of our son and his friend Kelly, I I would feel that wave coming and I would want to run away from it because I was terrified it was going to take me under and I would never be able to get out from under it. You know, that in time I realized that those waves of grief would come, but they wouldn't hit me as many times. But at first, it felt as though it was this abyss that I could never get out of. And the, the, the follow-up to that was it seemed as though every time there was any other kind of a loss or a grief in my life, it would always go back to our son Mark and the loss of Mark. And I wonder about a woman who has experienced abortion who, is, who feels numb in parts of her world in parts of her life, if if part of it is because she's afraid of the grief that she might experience that once she starts crying, she may not be able to stop. That could very well be part of it, yes. And then they, because of the guilt they feel and the shame, when things happen in their life, whatever it is that happens, traumatic things, they think God's punishing them. And so they have this wrong perspective because they've never told anybody and never been able to deal with it to get the right perspective. I think that is a very insightful remark that the the idea of living with this secret all those years, terrified somebody might find out about it, but in their hearts knowing, but God knows. And so anything bad that comes their way must be because of what they did way back when. Jill, do you, does that make sense to you? Did you ever feel that way? Yes, that's pretty much what I had done is I was in denial and I had repressed all my emotions. So I was pretty much just numb. So yes, that was the situation. And it really didn't come out probably until about 10 years afterwards. And then the depressions and the highs and lows, almost like a manic depressive, started. Did you tie it into the abortions? A lot of it was because they were anniversary dates. And you knew that right away? Well, I didn't know it right away, no. I had been hospitalized with suicide attempts, and it was usually the anniversary dates of the abortions, which I didn't know at the time because I had repressed it. But then when it started to become, when I was aware of it, then then I, I started to deal with it somewhat, and it was so painful I didn't know how to deal with it. 
And then, you know, and then subsequently, well, actually, my last two abortions were ended in 1982. So I had gone through two other after the first two. So subsequently, which resulted in breakups of two marriages, as a matter of fact. Describe how you felt when you um, entered into the hospital. Um, I I had suicide attempts. I was v- extremely depressed. Um, it was very dark. I didn't know where to go, uh, and I didn't know how to deal with the emotions. And I had gone to a psychiatrist. She gave me antidepressants. That's what I had used for suicide attempts. And because of that, you know, I ended up in the psychiatric part of St. Francis Hospital. So um, that's ha- that happened twice, and actually a third time, in which actually I was in Shore Memorial because of an overdose. So, yeah. So I guess there were three suicide attempts in my. I believe it's been three, and they were all tied into the anniversary dates, mm-hmm. which I discovered later, after that was revealed to me. So. And Marion, do you find this to be, is, is what Jill describing pretty typical of women who have kind of stuffed the abortion? Sometimes it is, yes. I have heard that from women who have shared about their um, story. But at the same time, they hear from people around them and from even abortion uh, facilities that there's no depression. You just move on with your life. Everything is fine. But from what Jill is saying, not everything is fine by any means. And, you know, Jill, what's interesting to me is that you haven't mentioned that up until that point that you were a strong Christian and you felt guilty because of what you had been taught at church. You were raised in the church, but still the depression that you felt and the anguish and the despair you couldn't look at it and say, oh, I knew I had sinned and I had sinned against God. It, that wasn't it. It was that instinct inside of you that something was broken, something was wrong. Yes, um, pretty much. And even in the church today, unfortunately, it's not really addressed as much as I think it should be. But um, yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't, you know, I had attended church, but in college, I I definitely wasn't involved in church. I believed in God, but um, it wasn't personal to me. So I didn't really know kind of right and wrong or any of that. I mean, to a certain extent I did, but, you know, the whole rationale, oh, well, this has been legal since 1973, all kind of convinced me to say, oh, well, you know, I guess it's okay. Mm -hmm. So, and then you go to the wrong people that are going to direct you in the wrong way, and that's going to continue the wrong decision. And so that's what happened in my life. And it's a shame because a lot of women do realize after I've read over and over again, a lot of women do realize that there's something wrong here, but they can't, you know, they they can't put their handle on it until unfortunately afterwards. And then having had very little counsel of the after effects and what happens to women, let alone the baby, they, you know, they don't know, they don't know how to deal with it. And that's the problem. There's nothing really there that can help them you know, other than, you know, going to God and Christ. So you had three hospitalizations for suicide. 
but since then, you haven't been hospitalized for right. Right. what happened to make the difference. Okay, in 1985, after uh, my second divorce, I kind of cried out to God, and I prayed to receive Christ, and I could not stop reading the Bible. The Holy Spirit kind of indwelled me, and I was so hungry for righteousness in the Word of God. So that's what changed my life. And uh, Jesus became my personal Savior, and I was praising God for that. So that changed my life totally. And so then I started to read more, and the Holy Spirit started to reveal to me uh, and uncover this very slowly, which, of course, he does gently, being the comforter. And he started to reveal to me exactly, you know, what the problem was and what I had done and what that I needed forgiveness. So. so you didn't come to God and say, please forgive me for having these abortions. Right. No, it, it took a while because I think of the pain and I guess he knew me enough to know that it was going to take a while to deal with that because of the tragedy, you know, and you because you block out actually the child. I was in denial that there was a child. I was in denial of all that because you don't want to deal with the pain and your psyche doesn't want to deal with that pain. So kind of shuts everything out. Let's, Jill, let's go back a minute to when you went, you went to Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. and you and I are from the same era. So I remember it well. I remember abortion being legalized and Planned Parenthood was the place to go and the idea that this was just a medical procedure and was not going to have any impact on anybody. Today we have ultrasounds. Would an ultrasound have made a difference to you? Yes, absolutely. Because then you would see the reality that this is a baby and that it's inside your womb and, you know, that that this is a child and the heart's beating, you know, other things are going on and it's a separate um, human being. And so back then, was there any kind of conversation about the fact that, yes, it's a medical procedure, but we're talking about a baby here. We're no. talking about a human being. Nothing. No, nothing at all. Just that it's a quick cramping, you know, maybe 10 minutes, easy procedure, and that's it. That was, those, that was my counsel from Planned Parenthood. And how about for your boyfriend? Was there any kind of attention to what he might be thinking or feeling? No. None. Mm -mm. So, Marion, with all the counseling that you're doing, in the beginning you mentioned the fathers of the babies. Do you do much counseling with men, or do you hear of their pain, or maybe there isn't any? We don't uh, have too much with the fathers. We talk with them. We encourage them to seek a pastor or a counselor that can uh, carry them through Uh, counseling. Uh, We as women in the center do not counsel the men, but we certainly encourage them to get counseling when we know that they've been involved with an abortion. Um, I just have it on my heart that men need um, counseling because for every woman there's a man that's been involved in this abortion and they, they stuff it down, suppress it, and so many of them end up with depression, um, They end up with substance abuse because they're trying to cover up the guilt of what they don't even realize why. But I have known of men who never got that kind of counseling and never sought it, and they became drug addicts because of the anger and the pain. When we lost our son Mark, I remember reading that most people 
young people who suffer a sudden loss before the age of 18 typically do not really grieve until the average age of 40. So you think about all those years of pushing life through the grid of unresolved grief. Not that grief can ever be resolved, but unprocessed grief. And so I think about the the young people, uh, like my friend, who was a teenager when she had abortions, and you're in college, you're young, mm-hmm. and stuffing that because you, I don't think we're equipped to handle that kind of grief and sorrow. And so you think about the dads, and they are dads of these babies, who have not been able to process all of that. They're living life through that grid of um, that unresolved grief and guilt uh, of, of participating in the death of their baby. So it, it's so critical that we are truth speakers in demonstrating to this messy world that there is hope. There's a whole generation of men and women who made the kind of decisions that you made, Jill, you know, and they're, they're like you said, 33%. That means that whether it's uh, uh, out in our culture or in our churches, wherever, mm-hmm. there are men and women who have walked this pathway mm-hmm. and probably have never mm-hmm. traced their kind of emotional struggles back to the possibility that it could be that moment in time mm-hmm. when uh, their baby's life was ended. So it's a very important conversation to offer the help and hope of the gospel. So, Marion, when a woman talks to you about abortion, uh, when she says to you, I had an abortion or more than one abortion, what is the first thing? How do you respond to her? I respond by offering her counseling. And I say that we are more than willing to meet with you once a week, one-on-one, confidentially, privately, to help you to process this, to work through it, and to give you hope. And and many of them say, I'm okay. And so they go on. We don't put any pressure, but we, we know they need the help. And someday they may come back in and say, help me. Mm. I want you to imagine that I'm that woman and I'm asking you right now, I'm telling you, I'm going, I'm going to be that woman. Marion, I had an abortion, and I, I can't get rid of the memory of that moment and the baby that I would have in my life right now. That baby would have been a teenager or a, an adult. I can't get rid of the thoughts. I, I don't know what to do with them. Nobody knows. My husband doesn't know. None of my other children know that, that they lost a sibling many years ago. I need help. I don't know where to turn for help. Please help me. I would offer to you that today we can begin a healing process. And it's through counseling manual that I'm using here at Hope. And it's going to address gently, but yet firmly at the same time each of your um, situations that you have suppressed all these years. And we will take one step at a time. The, the material that I use with you has been written by those who have walked your path and have come to forgiveness with the Lord, and they want to help you to do that too. And we can do this together. 
and we'll pray together. We'll work through this together, and you will find hope in Jesus Christ. But how do I get rid of the guilt? How do I stop thinking about that child? That's where Jesus will help you, because humanly speaking, as long as you keep it to yourself, it's not going to happen. But Jesus will forgive you, and you will be able to forgive yourself, and the guilt will be covered by his precious blood. Jill, you've um, said that you've had more than one abortion. How did you handle, how do you handle the thoughts of the children that you will never know here? It was a process again. The Lord helped to heal me of that. And actually, it was probably after I was a born-again Christian in 1985, it took about 10 years for me to accept his forgiveness. Because even if you first become a Christian, (laughs) I mean, Satan still tantalizes you and condemns you and all of that. But it took me about 10 years to finally accept that he, he finally does forgive me. And when he did, I... You know, at that point, I realized, and it was really just through the Word of God, in Psalm 107.20, it says, He sent forth His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So that's what He did for me, and I just really meditated on the Word of God. Also with David and his first child with Bathsheba. He says that the child would go to be with the Lord, and he would not return to him, but David would eventually go to be with him. So once I had truly, and I did repent of my sexual immorality and, you know, all of that, God gave me the grace to realize that those four children, which were two boys and two girls, are with him. And he's caring for them very well until I see them. I think an important part of what you're saying is that it's a process, that it's going to take time. And and I imagine that there are things that you walk through again and again and again, mm-hmm. reminding yourself of the promises of Scripture and yeah. the forgiveness that God has extended toward you through His Son, Jesus. And yeah. so there's no, there's no shame or weakness in the fact that you have to keep going back to the well, yes, so to speak. Absolutely. For uh, the truth to wash over you absolutely. And, and to give you the freedom. I just want to mention, too, something briefly. In, in my study and reading of post-abortion cases and women, one thing that does come up quite a bit is that a number of them have been sec- sexually abused. Um, I was uh, sexually molested when I was a young in third grade by two boys in a halo. So a lot of that complication enters in, unfortunately, because a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, and a lot of that's been also repressed in women's minds. And because of that, they are more vulnerable to either sexual immorality or abuse or whatever. Um, and Satan, you know, gets a hold of that, too. So, I mean, that's something I just I just wanted to mention, um, because that is there is a high rate of that. Well, I think it's a reminder that we live in a broken world. It's a very abnormal world and it's complicated. And so the counseling uh, that your choice of a counselor mm-hmm. is critical. Uh, someone who gets that th- this is a multifaceted uh, fi- life crisis 
and it's going to take time to unravel it. I remember um, my husband once saying that sometimes people's problems, our problems, are like a bowl of cooked spaghetti. And the task is to unravel each piece of spaghetti without breaking it. And it's impossible, yes. really. It yes. is impossible. Yes. But the Lord can give us an understanding and a peace that is supernatural. But I would you agree that it often takes hard work on yes. the part of the person who is hurting and broken. Yes. And what would be some of those practical steps that you would recommend? Well, definitely for them to come to Christ and ask forgiveness. Um, the whole forgiveness process is a process sometimes because I think maybe it's just women or I don't know, to be able to accept that the Lord would forgive them for something as atrocious as abortion. Because when they come to realize what it encompasses, it is a painful thing. Because in our fast-paced society, we shut out a lot of things and keep going. So, And that's something that I did, too. So when you have to deal with something as severe as abortion and having killed a child, that is a painful thing for a mother, especially, to realize what she's done. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of guilt involved with that. But again, God says in his word, I'll forgive your trespasses as far as the east is from the west. So if you truly have repented of the sin of abortion and truly believe that it is murder, you will not do that again, then, you know, God does give grace and he does give forgiveness. And actually, you just need to go forward and real accept that and continue to walk with him. Jill, one of the, the great um, things that gives me hope is that God promises to redeem the pain that we experience, that he does build the broken bridges again, and he brings beauty from ashes. And I know that you have taken a lot of the passion mm -hmm. that you have experienced in your own faith walk and have poured it into the lives of others. Um, tell us about that, what, what you are doing with um, the platform of your life now? Uh, yeah, I volunteer at Hope Pregnancy Center, the biblical counselor, and helping there at the Crisis Pregnancy Center as well. So I have done uh, the Lord's use that. Um, also involved there, you know, with Life Chain, March for Life, other things like that. And have gone to different before in Delaware at a different abortion mills and prayed and picketed and with mutual friends. So yes, the Lord has used me in that in different um, areas for his glory. So that's been good. Can you uh, think of someone who decided not to have an abortion as a result of the counseling that they received? Actually, it's been at the abortion mills. So uh, in particularly at Stanton. So um, and I've had a chance to, to share my testimony with them and and they have chosen life. So that's been a blessing. Yes, that has been a blessing. So that's that's a good thing. Yes. So there has been some impact. So praise God, the Lord. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that when a woman uh, who has had an abortion it comes to the Crisis Pregnancy Center mm -hmm. yes. and you start to talk to her yes. and she may might think, well, you have no idea what you're talking about. And you're able to say, I've been where you are. Right. You're a credible witness yes. to yes. Uh, the hope and the yes. help that can be found yes. in, the, in the gospel. Yes. And interesting, too, because uh, a number of the women will say to me where they haven't before, I've been through an abortion, too. Because if they know somebody's been through that, then they are more open to talk with that person. So, yes, that does happen. 
Marian, how many women do you see come to the Crisis Pregnancy Center? I'm not at looking for a specific number, but is there a great demand for the services that the center offers? We average each year about 300, 400 visits. Now, some of these are multiple visits that come back when change of season for clothing, um, but we do see girls come in for pregnancy tests, for counseling when they're undecided. We've had uh, women come in that um, have been through um, a rape situation and find themselves possibly pregnant, and of course, they don't know what to do. And one of the counsels that I give and the girls at Hope give to these women are you've been a victim one time, you don't want to be a victim a second time. This child is yours, your child as well as the one who harmed you. And you can either place this child for adoption if it's too painful to raise the child, or you can raise the child. But give that child life because the child did nothing wrong to deserve an abortion. And many times they will go ahead and carry that baby and give that child life because we've been there to support them, to comfort them, to have compassion and show them you don't want to have a a second time of being a victim. I love the Crisis Pregnancy Center work, first of all, because of the help and hope that you're giving to women and men and their babies and their children for the help and hope that you're giving to those who have been broken and damaged, that they can see God redeem the pain of their lives. And I also love the uh, help and hope that you're giving in answer to those who would say, well, it's fine for you to say you're against abortion, but what good are you doing? You know, how are you helping? And there are so many crisis pregnancy centers across our country where the needs are being met, daily mundane needs of diapers and clothing and baby food. And with families who want their children, they want to raise their children, and the practical needs that you are meeting is just critical and so important. The material needs are so important along with the counseling because we can say, you should have your children. You should raise your children. And they'll look at you and say, who's going to feed them? Who's going to clothe them? And we have so many resources to help them. And how do you support the Crisis Pregnancy Center? How, how do you have the funding to provide those kinds of needs? Because nothing is free. It might be free to the person who is needy, but someone had to pay the bill. Everything that we give to these moms has been donated freely to Hope by individuals, by churches. Uh, Some of our area churches give us baby showers every year. And so along with the Gently Use, they have new things. And we don't have any state or federal funding, so it's all by gifts of people and a few fundraisers during the year. Is there one in particular woman that you can think of that you have helped over the years that you would you would look at and say that that was worth everything I've done is worth it because of what I've seen happen in that woman's life there's a woman who about 15 years ago because I've been there 17 but 15 years ago she came to hope and she was thinking about an abortion and when she left she thought some more about it thought she was going to go through with it and couldn't And to this day, she thanks me for that child 
who is now a teenager, and she thanks the Lord every day for that life. And she's had other children since then. There's no way she would have aborted them because of that day many years ago. One day a woman came in, and she had a child in her arms, and she had two in a stroller outside, and she said, thank you, thank you. And I'm just looking at her wondering, okay? And she said, when you talk to me, I thought I was having an abortion that day. I thought you were in an abortion clinic. But then you talked to me about having my child and giving life to my child, and you shared with me the things that I didn't even know about. And I went out and I carried that baby, and I am so thankful that I gave life to my child, and I love my child. Do you have an ultrasound? No, we don't. But with the technology today, with what is on the websites, there's really no doubt that there's a child in the womb. And it's denying when they want to have an abortion. It's denying the truth. So ultrasound is a wonderful uh, thing for them to see, and I encourage them to go have an ultrasound, get into prenatal care and have an ultrasound. But um, God has also helped us to be meaningful to women who are on the fence and deciding. And I say, it may be legal, but you answer to God. You don't answer to me even, but you answer to God with your decision. For a woman who is uh, struggling to process abortion, the abortion in her life, and maybe doesn't have a community, a local community, are there any organizations that you could recommend that she could become a part of? The Silent No More campaign, um, and it's, uh, I'm not sure if it's out of Washington, D.C., but it is at the March for Life every year in January, the 22nd around that. It'll be the 27th this year. Um, and a group of them, both men and women, that come and share their testimonies, share that they regret their abortions. A lot of them have gone through breast cancer because of it, because that hires the incident of breast cancer when you go through an abortion. So um, a number of them are there, and it's Silent No More Awareness I'm, dot org. I think you can look it up on the Internet as well, and they can connect you. There's, there's that. That's very helpful. For, for a woman who is ready to find out about forgiveness and experience that forgiveness, are there any Bible studies that you could recommend? Yes. Um, Linda Cochran has Forgiven and Set Free. And there's also one for uh, a man that she did with another woman. And so there's uh, Bible studies available. There's a number of post-abortion ministries that are available. Um where they can, you know, look into Bible studies. But the, the Bible studies are the best because, again, the Lord is the one who heals them. And that's the best way to go. So there are a number of them available. Yes. All right. If you check on our, check on our website, we're going to have links to these Bible studies and the Crisis Pregnancy Center as well. Jill, uh, speak, speak to women who've had abortions and the church. What can the church do to make sure that women do not feel condemned and left out who are carrying that burden of, of abortion in their past. It's important for them to realize they are welcome in the church. Um, that was the one place when my healing, uh, it was so good 
just to go to church and listen to the Word of God and to know that there are other believers there. Um, For a long time, there was guilt, but um, a number of women were accepting of me, um, and a number of women have been through abortions that are in the church. So it is important for them to realize that they are welcome in the church that um, Jesus does forgive them. Times like Mother's Day, Father's Day, um, even Christ's birth can be sensitive, but the Holy Spirit is there to guide you, to comfort you, and to be there for you. Jill, I have no doubt there's a woman listening, probably many women, who have had abortions, who might feel a little stirred up by what you have shared about your own life, They might be starting to realize maybe I have some unresolved issues here that it's time for me to start addressing. I want you to imagine that you're sitting across the table from her and just talk to her about what would be the first steps for her to find the kind of healing that you have experienced. Uh, I think the best um, thing is for just really to share my hope was based on Jesus Christ and knowing him as my personal savior, um, asking forgiveness for all my sins and putting my total trust in God through Jesus Christ. So, so that for her to realize that he is our hope and he is there to help us and heal us. And ultimately too, you can uh, contact the many crisis pregnancy centers who will continue to help you and help heal you and be supportive of you in your journey in, in Christ and to redemption. That would be, I guess, the best thing for them to reach out and to know they're not alone. Jesus will never leave them or forsake them, but also they have a supportive community in Christ through crisis pregnancy centers who can pray and help direct them in their next step in healing. The logo that we have at a Hope Pregnancy Center is Hope Restored. And that just wraps it all up. The women come in there and they find hope restored. They're not judged. They're not treated in any way to put them down or to... um, be surprised when they mention that they've had an abortion or they've been injured in some way emotionally or physically. They're there to find the help and the hope that they need and very lovingly given. You've been listening to a conversation with Marion Stevenson, the director of Hope Pregnancy Center, and Jill Swagler, a counselor at Hope Pregnancy Center. Jill has shared her story of uh, abortion and the impact that it has had on her life and how she found help and hope in her faith. We hope that this story has given you hope as well. As you've heard, you can contact a local crisis pregnancy center for counseling or for more direction on how you can find resolution for the pain that you may be experiencing because of an abortion or abortions. As you've heard, statistics tell us that 33% of women have experienced abortions. That's a lot. That's a high percentage. So you are not alone. You're not alone in this journey. You're not alone in experiencing the kind of pain that you may have experienced. And you also are not alone if for many years you have kind of stuffed that experience back into the corner of your heart and you're now realizing that it's time to deal with it. 
And it's our hope that what you have heard today will encourage you that you can find help and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to visit markinc.org, our website, where you're going to find many, many more resources that are free, that are stories of redemption, stories that address life crises that are often difficult to experience, that are often experienced in isolation, that are often difficult for family and friends to know how they can help the hurting person. Each one of these stories is designed to offer you the help and the hope that only Christ can give. And that is at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. We're so grateful that you have given us your time today. And again, it is our prayer that you will experience the help and hope that only Christ can give.